This episode is brought to you by Trichome, natural performance skincare. Trichome brings you natural, simple, and effective products with short, easy-to-read ingredient lists. Whether it's a hot summer day at the range or a brisk winter night in the woods, Trichome has your skin protected with everything from balms to beard oils. Lock in moisture and defy the elements safely and effectively with Trichome. Go to trichomeco.com and use code LETHAL10 at checkout for 10% off your order. That's T-R-I-C-O-M-B-E-C-O.com. So, like I said, you are literally dealing with the greenest competition guy you could run into for archery <laughs> i have literally been to one r100 shoot and like one local traditional shoot and that's it by the way you have a traditional bow now that you're messing around with <laughs> i do how's that going it's it's going well i uh, first of all thanks for having me on today um but yeah i look i i've never until now, I've never truly owned a s- single string. Um, sure. However, back in and this is the part where it gets kind of kind of weird, you know, when I start talking about the old days. But you know, there, <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, pe- people nowadays will literally email me and come up to me at events and ask me what I think about bee stinger stabilizers, and I'm like, well. <laughs> that was me. I built that. Uh, me and Blair Sandberg did that. So. No shit. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh, so yeah, that's I'm the one, I run. Yeah, I'm the one that I'm the one that pounded the pavement and went out there and did that thing. And Blair, the mad scientist, was at home trying to fill orders. Uh, nice. And so you know, in doing the bee stinger thing, I went to the Olympic Training uh, Center in Chula Vista and worked with Brady Ellison and Jake Kaminsky a bunch, mm-hmm. Coach Lee and all that. So while I've never. Uh, you know, owned and shot a single string, not that I'm trying to compare Olympic style to traditional in every sense of the word, but they both have one string. So I guess by definition, sure. Um, so simply through, I, I suppose you would say uh, uh, osmosis or uh, whatever they call it when you move to a country and just have to, immersion. Yeah. Sort yeah. of immersion. I absorbed it. Um, I kind of had a basic idea for some stuff. And yeah. so, um, my good buddy Aaron Snyder um, called me, and obviously we, you know, we're not going to get into the whole trad vein thing. <clears throat> There's still some <laughs> <laughs> nice I'm right here, baby. He throws them right in my grill. Well played, <laughs> sir. Well played. That one for you. That actually um, wasn't even planned. Like they were literally just sitting here on my desk at all. That wasn't planned at no, all. It, it literally wasn't. It really yeah, wasn't. Well, because if I planned it, I'd start stuttering and screwed up. So that's <laughs> and, and you know so. So I kind of had some 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 experience with it, but Aaron, you know, is he's dived balls deep into it, and so he called, and we're not going to go into the whole history of it, but anyway, I developed the trad vein here at AAE uh, because Aaron Snyder asked me to, and mm-hmm. that has blown up like Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry if that's not politically correct, but it's just a fact. Yeah, I remember messaging you, and I was like, "Man, you guys better have your stuff together <laughs> on this." Like, I don't think you understand how quickly it's going to sell out. I didn't. And, yeah. I I didn't. Yeah. I I I I didn't. Uh, you and the Push Boys and Cody Greenwood and Aaron—they're like, "Y'all better be ready. Bite down yeah. on your mouthpiece and tighten up your chin strap." And I'm like. Pfft. 
whatever. And as I'm picking myself up off the floor, I'm like, well, shit, they weren't kidding. So Famous last words. Yeah, exactly. So through that, I'm like, well, uh, uh, I suppose I better get a single string bow now to see what, <laughs> see what, you know, see what the deal is. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't want somebody uh, teaching you how to drive who's never drove, and you don't want a virgin teaching you how to have sex. So, also true. Well, it's just, it is what it is. So I'm not, you know, and I'm not trying to teach people how to do the trad thing, but I kind of am kind of up to speed on the whole archery dynamic deal. Yeah. And so yeah. the veins made sense and it worked out. And so um, uh, Cody actually sent me a badass CD archery riser, the uh, WD-25. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have limbs yet, but that's fine and good. But in the meantime, uh, my boy Evan over at Hoyt's like, hashtag Satori on the way, son. So the Satori came, and to be honest with you, I have been really focusing on the shot aspect of it. You Mm -hmm. haven't seen any videos of me shooting that thing, and you're not for a hot minute, um, because I'm not going to go out there and fling one until I shoot one in the middle, then clip the video and be like, look, I rule. Right. I am literally... uh, It's probably especially tough for you, because you're like, what, a 33-inch draw? 32. 32, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, but limbs stack a ton on trad bows the further back you get you ain't shit so, yeah that'd be that'd be tough for, for somebody that's coming in fresh to it that I mean, hell i'm pretty fresh to trad to be honest with you but uh man that'd be especially hard yeah it t-rex is. arms yes so so right now what i did is is in my archery room i have about 10 feet and mm-hmm. so i feel that it's most important for me to not only get my form down kind of build my shot mm-hmm but if I can't have some, and I don't really care about the up and down right now, but I drew about a one and a half, two inch circle on my spider web target. And at 10 feet, if I don't shoot my arrow in that width, like I'll miss high and low. Sure. Because I'm not really focusing on on that part of it. I'm sure. focusing yeah. on my line. Release. Yeah. Yeah. And as you know, when it ain't right, it ain't right. You will know. And yeah. even at 10 feet, if I miss... You know, I mean, just do the math, extrapolate it out. If I miss that one and a half inch circle by an inch and a half at 10 feet, imagine that would be, you know, at 30 yards. It's huge. Two foot. Yeah. Yeah. So right now I'm just working on getting the shot down, the break, making sure that I'm firing clean arrows. And uh, so that that's kind of what I've been working on. Um, I do have some day six arrows that uh, Brian and and, uh, Aaron sent over to me. I Mm -hmm. got some 250s Mm -hmm. and 300s that I'll be building up and so it's it's going to happen it's just a matter of uh you know exactly how and when i mean probably going to have a lot more time not probably i'm most certainly going to have more time uh this winter because i was pot committed to go to alaska again mm-hmm. i i was um i put all my chips on it and i didn't draw the tag not the same tag as last year but one north and so I didn't draw that tag. So the Alaska hunt didn't work out. And so I'm mm-hmm. pretty much not going to do a lot of hunting this year, um, simply because that uh, um, moose is my bucket list. It's a it's yeah. a it's a one item bucket list. So uh, I'm not going to hunt moose with a single string bow at this particular moment in time. So don't let's not get it twisted. Um, but it's it's fun. Um, I can tell you this: when you see those guys walking around with band-aids and shit on their nose laugh all you want mr tough guy Uh, Um, it's real the first (laughs) the first time you zip that string across the side of your nose i don't give a shit how tough you think you are you're not you're not 
and I did it more than once. And I'm, I text Cody and I'm like, what the shit? And so I actually, you know, he gave me some pointers on where to anchor. And so I actually am anchoring with my middle finger in the corner of my mouth, which gets the string in a spot Raising where it doesn't a little bit higher. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And so, but I mean, so far so good, man. I got good. Got good. no complaints. Man, I'm glad you're uh, having fun. That's the the thing about picking up a trab bow is it's just it's such a different experience from a compound and now that somebody that switches back and forth a decent amount i feel like when i shoot my trab bow i feel like way more connected to it it's it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's weird but i'm not gonna try and start a uh trad versus compound war <laughs> because they're uh they're both fun they're both a ton of fun um so does that mean okay so back to my uh competition ignorance if you aren't going to be hunting much this year from what i understand competition basically breaks up into two main groups um one one uh more than a half probably being 3d Mm -hmm. and the other half being indoor like spots right uh and 3d takes place from march ish to now it looks like 3d is wrapping up just about everywhere as hunting season gets here right and indoor starts now until whenever. Is that close or? Yeah, it's too close, actually. Um, okay. uh, I, I am of the belief that these organizations, and let's just be honest here, it's mainly world archery, needs to back away from the archery buffet table. Give these people a goddamn break. Um, they are now running these uh, indoor World Series events, mm-hmm. and some of these people you know, Stefan Hansen's and Mike Sloshers and your Braden Gillantines, the Chris Schaffs, if they do all of them, they're not going to get any time off at all. Yeah, and no time to hunt. Correct. And I just think that's foolish. I think that, uh, I think uh, it's, it's, it's a money grab. Let's just call it what it sure, is. Sure. It's an absolute money grab for attendance. And the problem is, and I don't want to get all too political, not like, make the, make America great again political <laughs> right, right. but archery political because of yeah yeah the deep man, state if, if there's anything you learn in life it's that politics crosses into everything oh my god and archery has its own politics and its own deep state and so <laughs> it's true man it's true right, Alex Jones <laughs> right it's it's true and so you know the thing is is the burden then becomes on the companies because if let's just use Braden Gillantine as as an example, he does this for a living, as does Chris Schaff and you know those those types of guys. So I'm just going to use guys. These from are the, professional archers. Yes, absolute. Okay. They don't do anything else. They shoot they, their they bows for pay a their bills through right. shooting arrows. Okay, and gotcha. so in order for you, anyone, to get your 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 Paul Tedfords and your Chris Schaffs and your Braden Gillantines to show up, what do you have to do? You got to pay big them. prize money. Yeah. Man. Well. The events don't. Aside from Vegas, the events don't. The events don't pay that money. You know, mm-hmm. the OPA in Vegas pay big money. That's. Are it. we just talking about spots? Talking about archery. Period. Oh, okay. The companies okay, gotcha, okay. pay. The company's oh. contingency is what pays. Mm-hmm. So you can go start all these damn tournaments you want, but who's actually paying for the pros to show up? Right. The companies. So if you're going to add all these different indoor events, because it's basically indoors, if you're going to add all these events, 
and expect these touring pros to show up, the pros are going to turn to their sponsors and be like, well, are you paying? Right. Well, then the company has to go, well, what's the ROI? Because I can tell you right now, if, if Stefan Hansen, who's just as likely as anyone, if mm-hmm. Stefan Hansen wins Vegas this upcoming year, that immediately hard numbers sells a million dollars in bows. Like that. Instantly. Right. That's yeah. just write it down. You don't even need to seal in an envelope. You don't need to <laughs> you don't need to put it in a, it's a million, it's a million dollars in sales. And so okay, it's easy for them to pay 20 grand or whatever for that. No problem. However, um all of these other indoor events that are just popping up out of nowhere, what's the ROI if Stefan goes and wins one of those? Nothing, because there's no publicity on it. And no one gives a shit in November. Right. You're in the rut. Yeah. You know? And I don't think Ste- Stefan's a smart businessman, so he's not going to do that anyway. But the point is, um, and I hate to rabbit hole there, but but I believe that there's too many events. We need to give these guys a break. These guys and gals need a break. I mean, anyone who's watching Paige Pierce shoot her schedule understands the woman needs a break. She's Botac gal, right? Yeah. She's okay. the queen. Sarah Lopez is the queen of um, FIDA. Paige is pretty much the queen in America as far okay. as that goes. She is killing so, it. Uh, break this down Barney style for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the organizations. Um, can you give me like a really quick high level of yeah. what I need to know? Okay. So um, obviously world worldwide, you have world archery. And okay. they have about 1.2 million members. Gracious. Yes, million with an M. One of those M things, upside wow. down W. <laughs> and so they govern all FIDA. They govern the Olympics, Pan Am Games. They pretty much govern all uh, FIDA archery worldwide, period. Even And so that's, that's the world. Then you come What's to... FIDA? FIDA is the uh, style of shooting where you shoot 18 meters indoors on the yellow up and down okay. face. Uh, federal... Uh, Federation of International Target Archers or something okay. of, of, of that ilk. Gotcha. Um, USAR, so that's worldwide. And you okay. know how many other organizations there are like them? There's like one, it's the IFAA, and they're just 3D. So World Archery mm-hmm. has this thing on lockdown. Gotcha. So then you come to America, and that's really where the customer base and archery is fractured. Mm-hmm. And when I mean fractured, it looks like a roadmap because you have USA Archery, who obviously works under the world archery guidelines mm-hmm. and they handle your indoor feeder rounds, outdoor feeder rounds, feeder field rounds, which are half marked and half unmarked. Um, and so they, they handle all those. Then you go to the NFAA, which is the national field archery association, which is the oldest organization in the country. Um, obviously, and I'm not going to get into the dynamics here, folks, but there's the NFAA and there's the NFAA F, which is the NFAA foundation. They they commingle, so let's not okay. let's not get that too too deep. But sure. so the NFAA uh, runs Vegas, indoor nationals, the Dakota Classic, outdoor nationals, target nationals, which just happened this last weekend, and they they uh, t- uh, title and work with the Reading Shoot uh, out in at the Straight Arrow Bow Hunters for. Uh, what is called the marked 3D nationals, which is 3D animals with orange dots out to 101 yards. Gee whiz. Oh, yeah. Dude, Redding is the bomb. If you've never come to Redding, 
It's the funnest tournament you'll ever go to. Where's that at? California? Redding, California. Okay. And so, um, you know, the NFAA doesn't really do um, uh, unmarked anymore. They used to have an NFAA unmarked, but they got rid of it because no one was showing up. So hmm. NFAA is indoor, field, and outdoor marked yardage. So we transitioned from that over to the ASA, which is the Archery Shooters Association. Okay. Um, That's one I've heard of. Yep. Most people are f- familiar with that. It was uh, Wayne Pearson started that. Mike Terrell took it over. Um, it is held. I mean, four of the six events are in freaking Georgia, for Christ's sake. So hmm. it's not hard to figure out where that is. It's a Georgia-Alabama thing. Uh, those who don't think the Mason-Dixon line deal is live and well are fooling themselves. <laughs> and so, uh, but the ASA is, uh, it's, it's all based off of roads. You shoot flat ground, no terrain, um, 50-ish yard max. Um, they're all walkbacks. You walk down, shoot, walk back. And that's pretty much all it is. Gotcha. So you put 1,500 people out there on all these different ranges, and they pretty much stand on roads and shoot and walk back all day. Okay, so that's kind of similar to what the R100 was. Okay. At least it was, that the place that I went, it right. was a trail with dog legs off everywhere. You'd right. shoot, go grab your arrows, come back, and go. Okay, so Absolutely. that's similar to an ASA. Gotcha. Yeah. So then the IBO, the uh, International Bow Hunting Organization, uh, they are the oldest 3D organization in the country. Um, okay. They have actual trail shoots where when you go to shoot a an IBO event, when you walk out to shoot it, you're walking out into the woods on a trail. Right. Um, they use terrain, ups and downs, side hills. They fool you. Um, and so, you know, it is it is the the most accurate current representation of hunting but sure here's the thing on the asa side um at this point about 60 to 65 percent of the people that shoot the asa are shooting known distance so they're using mm-hmm. rangefinders. um now what the asa did was they just basically made a carbon copy of other ranges and called it a known range and you can use a rangefinder now mm-hmm. okay whatever um so they are by whatever means necessary or however you want to call it. And once again, we could get into the political aspect of it, but um, the way known yardage came to be in the ASA was extremely political, uh, did not work out for the parties involved that created it. And now the same company owns known just like they own unknown. So, um, and the reason for, for known being created was, just like archers, some companies don't want to have to compete, so they want to change the game so that they feel their current archer, their current mm-hmm. team can compete. Mm-hmm. And it worked for a while, and then it didn't. So, um, you know where I see a similar thing happening where that current organization is suffering a lot? NASCAR. Oh, absolutely. And I motocross. See a lot of similarities between that and NASCAR. NASCAR changing rules for certain drivers to kind of favor them and now nascar is just like completely in the tank right completely dying well and now they're all allegedly anti-second amendment not letting gun people right. sponsor anymore yeah. which is going to be the death of them but so so the asa is known and unknown but it's more mm-hmm. known than it is unknown the ibo is unknown yardage only and by unknown yardage i mean exactly oh. that when you walk up to the stake they ain't telling you how far it is and you can't have a rangefinder. And so, um, and IBO was sticking to that. Now, part of this, uh, 
you know, because everyone wants, you know, for those of you that don't know, hunting still keeps the lights on. Period. Yeah, I would imagine. It's not even close. So target archery is simply a marketing and advertising tool for these companies to sell their wares to you with validation. To use your NASCAR reference, what the shit do the Goodyear tires on any of those NASCARs have anything to do with the cars on my Volkswagen Jetta? <laughs> nothing. nothing. Zero. Zero. Just Which, the name. by the way, oh, that diesel. Love it. Love 50 it. miles per gallon, baby. Dude, it's great. Hashtag suck great. it. Right. I love that thing. No one can sit behind me, but that's not my problem. <laughs> so, um, so that is, you know, understanding what target archery actually does for the companies is extremely important. Sure. Um, it's not just for fun and games. It's marketing and advertising. Yeah, even, absolutely. You know, even though target archery isn't even close to making the money hunting is, it's not even close, half or so of their catalogs for the big bow companies are half target. Yeah. Because just like NASCAR, it validates what wins on Sunday sells on Monday. And yep. yes, while those Goodyear tires might not have shit to do with the tires that I'm running, if they're winning, the Goodyear brand's out there, that must make me feel warm and fuzzy and make me want to go buy some. Right. And at least coming from here in the Midwest, uh, uh, Levi shoes for Matthews, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Okay. So I see, like, here in the Midwest, Matthews is king. Right. Like, every, every, everyone, if they don't shoot Matthews, they want to shoot a Matthews, I guess. <laughs> and I would imagine that a Levi shooting for Matthews is a huge driving factor for that in the Midwest, even though, like, him shooting, what is Matthews right now, a TRX-8, something like that? Yeah, hard, it, hard it, to tell. It, whatever, whatever their target rig is has nothing to do with their current hunting rigs. Right. So, yeah, okay, that well, makes sense. I, I mean, use, using that analogy, and I, and I don't mean this in any sort of disrespectful way, but where the hell was Elite before they signed Levi? Sure. Uh, yeah, I remember, uh, like I said, I, I don't know much about competition, but I remember the day on Facebook when, Le- when uh, he signed with Elite, right. and it was like like the whole archery world just erupted and i was like i don't know who this guy is i don't know how this impacts me but apparently it was a big deal huge and and elite has the last four years or so has like come on very 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 strong absolutely and that is that is why that happens and i know archery has a you know archery has its own little thing where people are like you know, because they have unfettered access to people like Levi and Jesse and all these guys, there's a little bit of a folks kind of lose perspective. Like, for instance, if Levi Morgan is practicing on the practice bags, you can literally walk right up, stand next to him, sniff the back of his neck and shoot arrows. Now, you might catch a forearm to the but but you get the point. You can literally walk right up to him and shoot right next to him. It wouldn't be right. Right. What exactly do you think would happen if Tiger Woods was warming up and you tried to walk out there and swing clubs with him? You'd have four guys my size using your head to open doors for the next week. Yeah. So my LeBron James, could you just trot out on the course and shoot around with LeBron when he's warming up for a game? Hails to the note. You'd have guys bigger than me using your head to open doors. Yeah. And so in archery, you know, it's awesome. We have that closeness. But it's also kind of skewed people's realities of what is happening, you know, because these guys are doing this for a living. So, right. you know, to to back up to the IBO ASA thing. So 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 IBO is, you know, h- hands down 
the most challenging type of 3D because they do use mm-hmm. terrain, um, because they use uphills, downhills, side hills. They try to fool you. In the ASA, it's pretty much you just stand there. It's I mean, you could pretty much shoot in a nursery and it'd be about the same. <laughs> I remember it must have been a uh, an IBO event that I remember Dudley talking one time about shooting a, I think he thought it was a wolf and they had painted it as a fox and they switched and they like set the distance to where it looked like the other one. And right. he, he said, I shot right over its back because I like, I knew what this target was. I knew like at the uh, size that it was, how far it was. And he just airmailed it. And, absolutely. And he was, and so it must've been IBO where they were trying to mess with him. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and, and that's part of the thing. And you know, we, we talk about hunting and, you know, here's the thing, you know, 95 or some ridiculous amount of people use a rangefinder when they hunt these days, mm-hmm. as you should. I'm sorry. It's, it's no reason it's, not to. Yeah, it's, it's ethical. It's the humane thing to do, and it Absolutely. helps you be more lethal. But here's the thing. That was, you know, the, the IBO and the ASA, we're talking decades and decades and decades ago. I oh, mean, yeah. back when the rangefinders had dials, you just yeah, dialed until it, it was in focus. Exactly. Yep. You know, back when the IBO banned anything over eight power binoculars because people would use the focus <laughs> to what a to joke. determine how yeah. far it was. Well, within five yards anyway. <laughs> um, and so here's here's the thing that I want everybody listening to understand is even though ninety-five or so percent of people today hunting use rangefinders, that doesn't mean ninety-five percent of the shots taken were ranged. I would agree. So what are we talking about here? So people want, and and look, this is archery's fault. Archery did this. Archery built this relationship to where there's no separation. Now I can get into the whole archery needs to be on TV thing. um, And I can, I can explain to you why I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Feet is doing it and you'll understand why when I explain, but, um, What's happening now is the sport of archery is just that. While it, you know, I mean, does anyone listening actually know how 3D, start, 3D archery got started? Because a group of archers were, didn't want to shoot field. Sure, yeah. So they started shooting 3D targets, and they're like, well, this is kind of a thing. 3D blew up, fields kind of died, and here we are. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that's, that's how that whole thing got started. Now, when you start talking about, you know, and that's the big argument right now, known versus known versus unknown and this and that and the other. And my take on it is this. First of all, shut the F up. We're talking about a sport now. We're not talking yeah. about hunting simulations. If right. you want hunting simulations, you ain't doing it for $20,000 a weekend and neither is Levi Morgan. Right. Period. I don't give a shit what anybody says. And the amount of people expecting to get paid in the amateur ranks now has created an entitlement culture that the sport's really fighting right now because it's not a sustain- really? it's not a sustainable model. Um, these kids that are these weekend warriors are showing up and expecting to see like halfway sustainable money. At least cover their expenses for the trip, yes. Hmm. Which is. That's interesting. A couple thousand. And yeah, you know, yeah, it certainly can be. And it's not because they made it up. It's because and and I'll tell you this, Hoyt, Matthews, PSE, which are the big three, they didn't start that shit. You right. want to know who started paying people that should have never been paid? 
smaller companies who are trying to make a name for themselves. Sure. Yeah. And so when that happens, then the bigger companies have to follow suit. I mean, I do. I have, <laughs> I have literally seen parents complain on the internet that the contingency check their ten year old got wasn't enough. <laughs> My lord. Fifty bucks. Duh, they could pay way more than that. Like, really, what value is it to the company? So yeah. basically, what the industry has done is they've created a scenario where we're renting archers. And I, I get into it with people on the internet all the time because I don't take a whole lot of shit, and I'll talk back often. <laughs> and, and, uh, and these guys are like, well, if I can't cover my expenses, I'm not going. I'm like, well, first of all, who said you were going to win? Yeah, Second right. of all, you're an amateur. So who says you should be getting paid anyway? Yeah. Well, the industry did. The sport did. And so mm. that payout has created a, a real issue now. Um, and that's something that the industry is currently fighting with on, on how to cut back. Um, for instance, Matthews, who pretty much owns, you know, it's a sea of black and gold out there. And it has been for a couple years now. But anyone who's been paying attention knows this comes in waves. And I can tell you right now, hear me now and believe me later on. <laughs> what happens next year in 2020 politically? Election year. Election year. Watch, there's going to be some big cuts happening. And the reason for that is during an election year, even though I'm supremely confident that Donald Trump is going to waffle stomp a mud hole in whoever's ass the Democrats put up. God, they, have you seen their candidate list? Oh, it's my a freaking joke Lord. At this point. I hope, I hope Beto or Beto or whatever yeah. his name Robert. is. Robert. His name's Robert. Okay. I hope, I hope uh, Dick he, he gets it. He goes by Beto to try and pass off as Hispanic. Yeah. Well, it's Dick. So. <laughs> Um, you know, but when there's an election year, here's what happens is people get scared. And now during yeah, the, they dur hold on to their money. It, well, they don't hold on to it. They spend it in different places and I'll explain. So during the Obama years, more ammunition and more guns were sold than yep. any other eight years in the history of this country. Yep. Because people were afraid they were, that shit was going to get banned. Yep. I mean, I know people that were paying 50 bucks a box for 22 shells and now it's back down to 24 and they're all pissed. <laughs> you hold your hand up right <laughs> and so what happens is when when that election year comes our uh, you know people like yourself outdoorsmen with x amount of expendable income mm -hmm. don't spend it on bows you don't spend it on rifle scopes you don't spend it on binoculars or arrows you spend it on hard items that maintain their value that if it was to go away you would be worried about, like, guns. guns. Yep. All kinds of guns, any kinds of guns. But bows and arrows, no, those take a hit because, okay, let's just say it. That expendable income goes somewhere else. Yeah. Well, well, and let's say right now I'm on the Internet and I'm like, ooh, that, that Christensen Arms 300 rum looks sick. Three grand, I'm about that. Yeah. When I buy that, a year from now, if I don't take it out of the box, I could probably sell it for more than I paid. Yeah. If you go down and spend $1,800 on a bow right now and you don't take it out of the box, how much is it worth tomorrow? 200 <laughs> Like, not much. It's worth half. <laughs> yeah. And so, our, you know, outdoorsmen understand this. Yep. And so companies are already preparing for that dip next year. And so what you're going to see is you're going to see staffs cut back you're going to see eligible contracts cut back. You're going to see some archers making moves because they they aren't going to be kept on their current contract where they're at. 
because of those cutbacks. It's just a big cycle is all it is. I've watched it. I mean, I've been doing this since 99, 2000, and I've watched it three times. Literally three times I've watched the same cycle happen. Um, You know, no one spends more in the sport than Matthews. But for those of you that don't understand why that happens, allow me to explain. This is not a secret. Derek Phillips is not going to show up and put a bloody horse head in my bed tonight. (laughs) Don't at Greg. Right, exactly. So Matthews has in-house reps. Um, Mm -hmm. All their and they do. No one does a better job in this industry of getting customers into a dealer's shop to spend money than Matthews. Nobody. Period. Makes sense. No other company. Matthews is the best at getting people through the door to spend money. They don't walk in there and go, "Hey, I want that," you know, whatever model. No, they walk in, they go, "I want a Matthews." And that's what happens. And so Matthews spends more money on that, and they don't have a rep group. So they're literally working with about, I haven't seen numbers for several years, but about $1.6 million more to spend to get people in their in, in dealer's doors than every other mm-hmm. company because PSE and Hoyt, they have reps. you got to pay them right. anywhere from 7 yep. to 10%. Well, if you didn't have to pay that and you could pay five to six people uh, working in the building – to do that work via phone, you're going to save about $1.6 million. Yep. 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 So um, that's why Matthews is able to, to spend the way they do, and they're smart about it. And you think that's why they rule the podium? I know it is. Yeah, I, that would make sense. I, I know it is. And hmm. anyone who blames them for that's just hating. Yeah. They're just I jealous. Mean, it's Call it what you want. It's, it is what it is. Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like when you're uh, – uh, when you're that high up in the archer industry, it, I mean, there, you aren't playing with the pups anymore. No, it's, uh, it's the big dogs. Absolutely. I mean, it's no different than if you're in school, you know, picking a, picking a, you know, football team out at lunch, the yeah. biggest kid gets picked first. Yeah. And then the next biggest, and then the next biggest. And by the time you're down to the end, that kid's the smallest. That's the yeah. way it works. Unless he's the fastest, then he'll probably get picked early. But the point is Matthews is doing, running their business model and it works. Yeah. So you can't really hate on them for it. Now, transition over to Hoyt. Hoyt's Hoyt doesn't run of I mean their staff is large, but Hoyt has something that no other bow company has to deal with and that's recurve. Mm. They own recurve. Did you see the new one today? Oh yeah. They they own recurve. Yeah. Well, that's a Europe thing. Yes, there's a bunch here, but so Hoyt has to manage and budget for the recurve staff worldwide. Right. Matthews doesn't even have to do that, and PSE doesn't have to do that. So mm-hmm. that's why Hoyt's staff kind of w- runs the way it does, is because they have a two-headed monster to deal with, compound and recurve. Matthews doesn't have to deal with recurve. Right. They're just PSE. So that kind of explains that dynamic of how the staffs run. Now, you, uh, one other thing about Hoyt is Randy Walk has to answer to the Easton board. Randy? Okay. Can you explain this to me real quick? Sure. Because they were two separate companies. They who? Uh, Hoyt and Easton. Okay. Right? Are you talking about like 40 years ago? Yes, yes. Like long, <laughs> long, long time ago. Yes, yes. And then they, but they were doing things backwards, right? Uh, like wasn't Easton making bows and Hoyt was making arrows and then it switched? Or it, explain well, this to me. Well, it, sort of, sort of, kind of. It Way back in those days, dude, there was... 
so many things going on. I just about shoved the microphone down my own throat here trying to scratch <laughs> my neck. Um, there was so many things going on back then that, you know, it was, it was the Stone Age, no sure. question about yeah. it. And yeah. so, you know, Earl Hoyt was, you know, making bows out of a, a barn, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, Greg Easton's grandfather's making arrows on his kitchen table. And so as these things started to progress, Easton, of course, took off before Hoyt. Sure. And then basically it was a natural progression for, for Easton to purchase Hoyt. And they got it for a song and a dance. I mean, by today's standards, it would be criminal. Not yeah. easy people, easy people, <laughs> not actual criminal. There was, no, there was no foul play. I'm just saying they got Hoyt for a bargain. Yeah, even like by, Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Even by those standards but back then. And so, so that remains today. So Randy Walk, if you don't know who Randy Walk is, Google it. He's the president of, of, of Hoyt. And gotcha. so he can't just go, yeah, dude, do it. He has to answer, answer to the Easton board. Right. And that's big business. I was going to say, I bet they dwarf Hoyt. It's not even close. Yeah. It's giant. Yeah. Especially the Easton Foundation. That's billions and billions of dollars. And that's yeah. another that's another distinction for people. Easton makes everything. Well, Easton Technical Products makes arrows and some shafts for tents and stuff. The Easton Foundation. All right. Let me explain this to you real quick. <laughs> so, and, and this is something that a lot of folks don't even know, but so when. Greg Easton's grandfather started doing the whole thing. He used, he was making arrows, and as it progressed from his grandfather to his dad, Jim, they were, they actually used arrow money to develop baseball bats. I was going to say, baseball bats have always been yes. like their big, big thing, I thought. Yeah, they, they sold that for a lot of money years ago. Oh, I bet. And that's how the foundation got started. But here's the interesting part. So the Easton family used arrow money to, to basically create the baseball bats. Hmm. They built up the baseball bats and sold it for a number that starts with a B with an S on the end. And then that money created the Easton Foundation, and the foundation then created archery as we know it today. So wow. art, arrow money built Easton bats and then Easton Bats money built archery as a sport that we have today. Because without Easton, we wouldn't we wouldn't even have what we have here at all. That's wild. And so it's just ironic. I think it's a great story that archery money created baseball bats, and then when that was sold for billions, they used that money to build what we have today for a sport. That's pretty badass. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I live um, about two hours north of uh, Springfield, Missouri, where the National, uh, I don't know if it's the Archery Museum or Bow Hunting Museum. I think it's the Archery Museum Mm -hmm. is. And there's a bunch of, it must be archery because there's a bunch of uh, target archery stuff in there. And I remember seeing a bunch of pictures of like Hoyt and Easton together. Right. And so now next time I'm going to go down there, I'm going to have to see if they have that story anywhere. That's Absol- cool. Oh, dude, it's 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 unbelievable. So so Randy Walk has to answer to somebody. Yeah. Matt McPherson. He's got a lot of bosses. Right. Matt McPherson, he don't answer to nobody. Right. God, maybe, I guess. He would say, <laughs> I answer to God. I answer to God. And so, but Matthews, Matt can do what he wants. Yeah. He, 
Pete Shepley over at PSE. I'm not even sure he answers to his wife. I mean, and I, I, Pete, Pete's a great guy. I love Pete. He's a cantankerous old son of a gun. I love Pete. Yeah. But so there's different dynamics at play between PSC and, and Matthews versus Hoyt because Hoyt has the corporate oversight where there's, I'm sorry, no matter what Randy Walk wants to do, there's no ego involved. Sure. Now you can also tell what's the one company that doesn't make crossbows. Hoyt. Yeah. So at this point, similar to the IBO, and I will say this for any, I'm sorry to say this, I don't mean to hurt your feel bads, and if you get triggered, I don't know what to tell you. Complain to somebody else. Crossbows are killing us. I'm sorry. Okay. They are. Go down this road. This uh, is fine. Okay. So they are, they are almost 50% of our sales in the industry. Really? Yes. And the reason that the Pittman-Roberts Act, FET, wow. for those of you that don't know, the yeah. Pittman-Roberts Act, it's called Federal Excise Tax, 11% of all bows and anything that attach or is used in conjunction with that bow gets the 11% tax. That yep. money goes towards conservation, goes towards preservation. Yep. Basically, it's used for what we need it to be used for. Yep. So here's the problem. FET fund is sinking like social security and here's why online sales no china no, no. Oh, if you want to get into that we'll have to record another podcast i'm <laughs> i'm 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 happy to play that game of t-ball son um <laughs> and the folks in the industry that hate me talking about this stuff i already know where to send the hate mail so um but here's the thing so when you buy a crossbow generally comes mm-hmm. with th- three to six bolts yeah what kind of release does it come with none kind of sight does it come with a scope that's already on it so ah, not and, and not another one correct what kind of uh hip quiver or quiver is used right one what's already on it yeah. yeah what uh you know what sort of stabilizers go on it None. all right i could go on and on and on and on and on and on but the fact is is when you buy a crossbow you're contributing way less to fet oh sure Absolutely. And so the FET fund is depleting because we're losing we're losing hunters and the amount of available tax revenue for the FET is going way down because our sales are being our overall sales are being ate up by crossbows. And so what's the other thing that I mean, you know what percentage of crossbows are made in China? I would guess a most ton. Yeah. Most. And <clears throat> this is not a slap in the face of any particular crossbow companies. But they run at a massive, massive failure rate. Really? Massive. Like, there's certain companies. haven't messed around with them enough to know. There's certain companies that are still doing well, and people have tons of respect for them that, that have had a 100% uh, return rate. Whoa. Yeah. Like, and I don't mean return by customers. I mean factory recall type returns. Like, our triggers don't work. Our, or excuse me, our safety on our triggers don't work. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I mean, so there's there's a whole lot more at play there. But what what else? Okay, let's let's talk about this since we're going down this rabbit hole. How many crossbow shooters show up to a, a archery event that has 1,500, an archery tournament that has 1,500 people? None, I would guess. Uh, Granted, I haven't ten? been in competition, so I don't know. Ten? Maybe? Ten? Maybe so. Crossbow guys can absolutely go to competition, but they oh, don't. Okay. Those guys don't. 
Okay, I'm not saying those guys as a whole, but I have to say it. Crossbow guys don't practice like upright bow guys do. Oh, you want to know absolutely why? not. They you don't have to. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to. Yeah. Absolutely. My dad uh, had a shoulder replacement. He'll never pull a bow again. And uh, so he went out and bought a Raven. And six bolts into this thing, we were slapping bolts together at 80, 90 yards. Like, right. You don't need to practice. Correct. Like literally, <laughs> like literally you right now over the next 30 days could take all the archery lessons you could imagine. You could fly anywhere and have Jesse Rodwater or Dave Cousins or me or John Dudley or anybody tune your bow and give you all the dopest of the dope dope. And I could buy a crossbow and in one day be out shooting you. Absolutely. And so it changes the entire dynamic and it changes the connection. It's just simply not the connection. And it's not that I'm anti-crossbow, but I can just tell you right now, crossbows are killing our industry. It's just a fact. I'm sorry. It's just a fact. I I am in the camp that unless you are a youth, old, or have a serious disability, I don't think you have any business hunting with a crossbow during archery season. Bingo. They need to hunt. Bingo. They need to hunt during rifle season or their own little crossbow season, whatever. Correct. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's how I feel. I, I have zero issue with that. And I don't think that's like too much to ask. I know here in Missouri, crossbows got legalized. And I, I mean, a small anecdotal example, but in Kansas city, shops closing up left and right. And I would imagine Shocker. it's because everyone's going to Cabela's buying the two ninety nine crossbow special and that's it. Yep. Absolutely. And they don't buy anything else. Yes. And so, you know, it, it takes a whole dynamic. Okay. Here's another one. Let's say that you're Joe bag of donuts and you're new to archery. You don't know any better. And big GP hasn't hurt your feel bads about buying online yet. But if you ever hear me, I will then. And you buy a bow off Amazon or eBay, and you don't know, have any idea what to do with it. What do you do? Yeah, you, you don't have anyone to go to. Well, you go to your shop, a shop. Yeah, if they're there. Yeah. yeah, if they're there. You go to a shop, and then that story goes however the shop owner chooses for it to go. But <laughs> let's say you buy a crossbow. What do you do? Don't go to a shop. You don't need to. You can't tune them. Yeah, yeah. They have it. no tunable rest. Nope. They have no tune. They have no tunable anything. Yep. You don't need help. The only thing you need is more bolts when you yep. lose them or break them. Yep, that's it. And that's changing the entire dynamic of archery. And people literally want to keep their heads in the sand and refuse to see it for what it is. And I'm just telling you that is what it is. That's why Hoyt's not making a crossbow. That's why you hear like. Um, Look, I give he's not there anymore, but Blake Shelby from uh he was the he was at PSE for like 14 years. Okay. VP of sales and marketing. Last year he said out loud, crossbows are killing us. Did the market just freaking fry him? Holy crap. He caught more he caught more shit than you could even imagine. But he's not wrong. No, I, but the people just don't yeah, want to no, hear that. Disagree. And it's like I've always said, I've said it on my podcast, I've said it on any of them, the, some people don't like this, but the biggest problem in archery is archers. 
And it's a fact. And their laziness. That their laziness, their decadence, their arrogance. I just got into it with a guy on the internet the other day. Oh, um, I'm trying to enhance my calm here. He was arguing with me that a well-tuned bow and arrow does not make an archer a better archer. What? That, okay, I can't even entertain that. That doesn't make sense. I'll wait for you to process that. Yeah, it's... Correct. It literally is stupefying. I'm literally stupider for having gotten into the conversation, but I I just ejected, and I'm like, bro, what? (laughs) That makes... And I said, well, cool. If that's the case, then I'm going to go race NASCAR next year, and I am going to get an actual NASCAR Toyota Camry. Everyone else is going to have just a Toyota Camry. But I'm not going to win because my car's better. I'm going to win because of my time behind the wheel. That's right. But that's the, that's the thing about archers. And it's actually all outdoorsmen because, you know, one of my other pet peeves is, goddamn, the hating. Just the hating. The hating between the single string guys and the compound guys and the hunt and the rifle guys and the crossbow guys. And everybody wants to, like, I agree with you. I think crossbows have a place. They just need their own place. They right. need their own season or hunt during gun season. Yep. But I don't think they should be hunting during archery season. But that doesn't mean that they don't deserve to be hunting. So I'm not hating on them for, right. for existing. I'm just saying that at this point, they are causing us some serious problems. Yep. Um, but the amount of hate in the outdoor world is unbelievable to me. Um, it, it, it blows me away. I mean, look, I'm a left coast guy. Born and raised. I'm a, yep. I'm a left coaster. However. Um, left coast, best coast, right? Uh, well, hey, west side rider, son. And so, <laughs> um, but, you know, like the whole westy flat built. Now, I have a giant head. I, got, I wear a size eight hat, so I don't even get Gracious. to wear. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't even get to wear flat bills, so I could care less. Right. But if, you know, like, as you can see, shaved off my hair. Right. For the longest time, people are like, oh, man bun, this, that, and the other, and flat bills, this, that, and the other, and, and you know, these jeans. And, and I'm like, look, if you care that much about another person's hair or what hat they're wearing or what jeans they're wearing or what bow they're shooting or how they harvest an, an animal or how they contribute money into what we all do in the outdoor world, then you're part of the problem, not part of the solution. Totally agree. And that's just it. And I think people, you know, and this is another thing I say, is that the internet gave people a voice that shouldn't have one. Mm-hmm. And People aren't scared anymore. Right. Well, There's no threat of getting punched in the nose. <laughs> right. There is no accountability behind a keyboard. And right. so, you know, that is part of what we're dealing with. And unfortunately, it's not getting better. It's getting worse. And, right. um, you know, I just shared a post on my personal social media stuff uh, that Jim Shockey wrote up the other day. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, that that was a great post. Yeah. Jim nailed it. Yep. Of all the people in the world who could put up a post like that after killing as many, I like Jim. He's a friend, but I hate him. Him and his 70-inch moose and his giant (laughs) bears and his whatever the heck he hunts with his son over in Afghanistan I mean, yeah, Jim's like tar. Oh my god, crazy stuff. I'm just super jealous of Jim. That's all. I, I don't yeah, hate Jim. Yeah. I, I'm just jealous. But 
He's almost as tall as you, isn't he? He's uh, a real tall guy. He's he's a six four, six five type guy. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and he he's actually he actually played water polo back in his day. No so shit. yeah, so For don't Canada? get it. Uh, or, or just uh, competitively, club compe- or competitively, because he was uh, from over in the Ukraine type type areas. So really, he's, I didn't oh, know yeah. that. Yeah. So okay. so make no mistake, Jim is an athlete. Yeah. Now you know I'm going to well, be God, fifty. Guy's sixty ish years old, and he's, he's a, running around he's through a everywhere. Beast. Jim's yeah. a beast, and yeah. he'll get his hands dirty. Jim's out there doing the thing. So, but I mean, so for Jim to put up a post about. If you hate this little deer by your standards that I kill, I mean, I encourage everybody to go read Jim's post or my yeah, post. Absolutely. I don't really give a shit. But what Jim said could not have come from a better person. And, you know, part of, and I also shared another thing on Bow Junkie on why hunting's dying because we don't have any kids coming into it. Now, out here on the left coast, yeah, I can look at that mountain and basically, if I have a tag for that unit, go hunt it. But for the most part, leasing, and the clubs and all the dude, they're basically making hunting uh, out of reach for a vast majority it's a of rich people. Rich man sport now, and so people are going elsewhere. Well, that's not sustainable. Yep. But you're certainly not going to see these people that lease up, you know, grandpa and grandma's farms all across the Midwest give that up. Right. Especially after they've put tens of thousands of dollars into food plots and yep. you know preservation and conservation and cutting. I mean, it's it's a lot of work. But, you know, it's just one of those things where if if outdoorsmen as a whole don't start paying attention, we're in deep shit. Oh, and yeah. and there are those I'm not going to name any names, but there are those uh, deep state type archery entities that fight tooth and nail for people not to say that mm. to hide because they want you as a consumer to feel like archery is so warm and fuzzy. Right. And it's like, well, that, that has nothing to do with it. If, if you want to get into archery, you're not getting into... There's not people getting into archery to help archery. Right. They're getting into archery because they like it. Yeah. And the whole idea of... I mean, dude, there's seriously companies that tell their pro staffers what they can and can't say on social media. There are companies and entities in this sport in this industry who work very, very hard to hide the true state of our industry. I mean, I hate to say it, but look what the ATA did taking a stance against Donald Trump. What happened? Um, when oh, Donald with the, tariffs. the China yeah. Tariffs. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they literally were emailing dealers with links to their congressmen and senators to email them telling them to fight the president on it. Hmm. The ATA took a stance against the president of the United States for in defense of China. What does that tell you? Tells you where the money's coming from. Yeah. So at the ATA show this year, right. And I got to watch Pete Shepley throw an absolute fit, which he should have, but right in front of the main area, the 20, so AAE, uh, cause PSE reps us AAE, mm-hmm. Is is right in front by the tractor trailer part. Our booth's forty feet long. Well, the twenty feet behind us, ten by twenty, directly facing PSE, was the Chinese bow manufacturer that makes about sixty percent of the bows sold in the world. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Inconvenient truth. Yeah. Literally. Interesting. So, 
what does that tell you when, because they don't make any of Matthews, right? They don't make any of Hoyts, and they most certainly don't make any of PSEs. But worldwide, this one company is making bows for so many other companies you can't even imagine. Interesting. To the tune of about 600,000 bows a year. Gracious me. So the state of our industry is in a very tumultuous place. And when the ATA wants to take a stance against the president of the United States for China tariffs, what does that tell you where the money's coming from? Yeah, from China. So they're just trying to protect their cash cap. Their own ass, yeah. Exactly. So anyway, we could do a whole other podcast on that thing, but <laughs> back back to the back to the to the bow yeah, companies. Well, I mean, the archery industry is, you know, uh, barely treading water in that regard. But one of the big reasons that I, I reached out to you and I was like, hey, like, can we come on and talk about this is uh, some numbers that I think will be released sooner than later uh, on people's proficiency to be able to hit what they're aiming at. Oh, shit. And uh, so I'm not going to say any numbers but they're not good. <laughs> I will. Uh, oh, I don't. Can we? It's can your pod. It's your podcast, man. I don't care. But I well, mean, I don't, I don't know what numbers in- you heard. But yeah, oh, when I, I heard them, uh, well, well, we'll just say this: Texas Parks and Wildlife has uh, released information that says we are at about a sixty-six percent wound lo- wound loss rate. Correct. Which is horrendous. And think about where that information was gathered. I I mean, in Texas, a very uh, target-rich environment. (laughs) Right. And and what's the average distance of shots for those particular hunters? In Texas, nothing compared to Western hunters. Correct. I would would guess. 20 to 30 yards average shot. Yeah. On the whole... We, we as a group, all of us, that's not, we're not segregating. We're about 60% efficiency on our kill rates. That's not super good. I mean, if, if, if anybody listening was talking to someone at the, you know, if you didn't know who I was and you heard me at the archery shop and, and I was like, yeah, dude, I'm, uh, you know, I did really good this year. I shot, I shot, you know, shot at 10 of them and got six you would fall over and tell me I shouldn't be hunting. Yeah. But the, but the, the realization of that is, you know what they say about doing the right things a lot harder when no one's looking. Oh yeah. And we all, we all know the stories, you know, my son who's never hunted, he's going to hunt this year for the first time. He asked me yesterday, um, what's the, what's the proper etiquette if someone shoots a deer and then what is going on? You got some light. Uh, Shoot, it's cooking the side of my face. Um, <laughs> he said, what's the etiquette if someone shoots a deer, tracks it for a day and a half, and runs out of blood and can't find it? And I said, oh. Depends on who you ask, son. Right. <laughs> I said, well, first of all, did they get a good visual on where the deer was hit? And he's like, yes. This is some other friend of his. I said, okay, let me guess. They shot it high. He said, yes. And I go, and it zipped right through, and it was kind of greasy with a little bit of blood, and they tracked it forever, not much blood, and then it ended. He goes, yeah. I go, well, they shot that in what's called the pocket 
above the lungs, below the spine, that deer is going to be fine. However, the rules state basically something different. Not that they care whether the deer, but if you shot that deer and you drew blood, sorry, your tag's filled. Yeah. But what percentage of archers out there actually live by that? Uh, Not as many as there should be. Probably a minute amount. And so is that a moral or ethical issue? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. This is certainly not golf, where if a professional golfer accidentally taps his ball, he calls a stroke on himself. No, this is certainly not that. So, you know, how do we as a collective deal with that? Um, It's tough because you talk about, you know, when I tell people I go hunting in the Midwest and back east sometimes and I have to kill a doe or two before I'm allowed to kill a buck. Yep. They're like, what the shit? I mean, out here, you can't even kill those. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So that's just a numbers thing. And so I always try to take, you know, like my first question when you talked about the Texas thing as well, let's, let's take a look at, at that in context. In context. I mean, if you were to tell me shots on deer of 80 yards and over are 62% successful, all right, then we can have a discussion on whether people – or some people should be shooting at that distance. Individuals should be shooting at that distance, yeah. Instead, we're talking about people, and dude, I've had conversations with people from the back, from back east when they talk to me about hunting, and I'm like, well, yeah, I got a a slider with a 20 through 60, and then I got marks out to 110. And they're like, why would you need that? And I'm like, have you ever been out west? Yeah. And, And they're like, well, my longest shot's 27 yards. Yeah. And I'm like, we ain't a ball game out west starts yeah, at 40 for, for if you're lucky yeah 40 is a chip shot and right. so you know that is part of the culture that has you know manifested itself um now you know have i ever shot an animal and not retrieved it yes i have yes i have fortunately for me we saw the crows two days later and I at least got the horns, but I didn't get any of the right. meat. But right. I was done hunting. It, I was just done hunting. Um, on the other hand, the, the vast majority of people aren't. They won't punch that tag. No, not yeah. at all. And so that is, you know, but then we also have to, you know, look at the practical application of it. If you're in a state where you are required to kill eight does, <laughs> then obviously there's a management issue. Right. So... Lord forbid, I mean, look, folks, I always want every animal that's shot to die humanely, be recovered, and that meat go to a good place because that meat is 100% renewable protein, and it is a gift from God, in my opinion. And so I want every animal to be recovered and to, to be ate. I do. Whether it's donated or not, I don't care. But if you're doing a, a cleansing of sorts where you have to kill that many does... <laughs> Domageddon. Yeah, exactly. Then there's probably going to be a little bit of wiggle room there, but for the most sure. part, you're not shooting. You're not shooting management does at eighty yeah. yards. This isn't an invasive species where it's take them out at all costs. <laughs> right, right. right. Exactly. And so you know the culture right now in the outdoor industry is, you know, that's one of the other things in that article I shared on Bow Junkie is size queens. Everyone, you know, how big is it? How this is it? How that is it? And it's like, look, everybody's trophy's different. So yeah. if there's one message that I would send out to all your listeners is this. 
Not everyone's created equal, so get over it. I'm sorry. Not everyone's created equal. I'm not as good a shot as Jesse Broadwater, no matter how hard I try. And I trust me, it's not a strength issue. I promise. <laughs> I promise it's not a strength issue. At 6'7", 280, I'm probably as strong as three Jessies, and he stomps my ass all the time. Yep. So we're not all created equal. We're not. And so, you know, what ends up happening is, you know, when people see, you know, like I share Cam Haynes and Levi Morgan and the Bomars and, you know, Randy Omers, dude, those are the Michael Jordans of hunting. Right. Period. When you see Michael Jordan dunk from the free throw line, do you think that you need to dunk from the free throw line? Right. Or, just wanna, I, I won't be able to touch the net. Yeah. I just want to <laughs> lay it in, man. Two points is two points. That's right. But in hunting, for some reason, we have kind of conditioned everyone to be like, and by our own reactions, by the same people that hide behind those keyboards and talk shit with, you know, especially on Instagram with fake names. Oh, I wish they would change that. But is that a big thing? Oh, God. Oh, yes. Fake profiles, profiles with people who have who use fake names and then they just talk shit all day like they're 14 year old kids in their mom's basements. (laughs) But there's no accountability. I mean, you're never going to see them. You just have no idea who it is. And so but that's kind of what we fostered is when someone sees, um, you know, uh, Lee and Tiffany Lukoski with two big bucks, they just start hating that. Uh, was that public land? Right. God, I hate those people. Fuck no, it wasn't public land. You yeah, think they have to make a TV show, right? People. <laughs> it's, this is a, do you think the Lakoskis have the time to go get the shit out of here? No, hell yeah. no. And then, you know, I put up a post going, um, whose buck scored, you know, bigger. There was a friendly competition between, I was texting with Lee while he was hunting and stuff. And, you know, so he's like, well, it's Tiffany's turn now. I'm like, is she going to get you? He's like, I don't know. There's a couple out there that she could dang it. And so <laughs> that's just friendly competition and banter. Now, the Lakoskis, their little friendly competition is going to be around the 200-inch mule deer level. Right. Your and my friendly competition might be around the 120-inch level. Right. But guess what? I'm going to be just as happy as that I beat you at 120 inches as Lee is because he did beat Tiffany by two-eighths of an inch. So, Jeez. Right. Close. Hers had trash. So she oh. had some extra points there. And so... um. But people were like, oh, why has it got to be a competition? And I'm like, well, it's a husband and wife, for one. And so I guarantee you. But that's the whole problem is when people see the, the Lakoski's bucks or the Bomars or the knock-ons or the Randy Omers, they hate on it because they don't get to do that. Oh, yeah. And, and the problem is if you think that these people just write big fat checks and go hunt places, it's, it's more than that. It's relationships. Oh yeah. Why absolutely. do you why do you think you see them going back to the same places year after year after year? Yep. It's not because of a check. It's because of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And these people that want to hate on it, they just want to assume it's money so that they can easily justify to themselves why they can't do it. Sure. Yeah. I I mean I'm I don't want to say friends. I'm acquaintances with several outfitters that have had uh uh, none of those people you've named, but other people that are trying to make names for themselves in the industry. And uh, they went on a guided hunt with them and they are no longer welcome back. Correct. Like that is a thing. I don't know if, if I mean, 
it's normally not in the outfitter's best interest to blast that person. No, that's, but, that's a bad uh, idea. Yeah, yeah, real bad <laughs> idea. Uh, but So that's why people don't know about this, like, dirty little secret, I guess you could say. Correct. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't understand why people hate on that. That's, that bewilders me. Because they have a voice, because the internet gave it to them. That's true. Now, I can remember 15, 20 years ago when there was no social media. I remember when archery talk started. Ugh, how old am I? Gee whiz, you are old. Dude, I'm telling you, I, oh my God, I'm about to date myself. <laughs> I can remember when you would literally be like, does anybody need to make a phone call? I'm going to get on the internet. <laughs> and then literally you would get on the dial up and just all, <laughs> and then you can't accept any phone calls. That's how far back I go with the whole internet thing. Yeah. But back then, everyone just saw the pictures and appreciated it. Yeah. I didn't hear near the hating back then I did now because if you're in an archery shop and you see Randy Ulmer's picture from the previous season, what good is hating on him going to do? Right. You're just like, dude, that's badass. I didn't hear any hating. The internet and social media is what has born and bred this hating that we're seeing right now. And I think it makes people, to, to speak to that, I think it gives people a, an unrealistic expectation of their own skills. Yes. Because a lot of these people, uh, you know, that you'll see them post whatever group, and like, oh, fifth group in a row at 60 yards, and it's, you know, the size of a half dollar. <laughs> and these people are like, oh, if I can't do that, then I suck. And then right. that hurts the industry because then those people don't want to be involved anymore. Or they think, like I should be able to take shots on game at X amount distance that I am not comfortable with. Absolutely. And they do it and then they hurt game and then it it puts a black eye in the archer industry and then the hunting industry. Absolutely. I mean, you, you're, I mean, I, I killed a, I've killed some animals at a, at a poke and I shot a scimitar. And there's nothing wrong with that. Well, right. And, and I caught heat because I, my wife just happened to be there. So on my phone, I was, running out of time. So I just straight walked up on a scimitar Oryx and shot it in the heart at a hundred. Cause we were eating dinner in two hours and I don't miss meals. And so it was a management one. It had his horns broke off. They just wanted it gone. So, hmm. but, um, people are like, well, that's unethical. And I'm like, wait a second. So Who? I knew I had, right, right. I knew I had limited time. I didn't want to be chasing this some bitch all over the mountainside. So I intentionally aimed for its heart. And the fact that it was 100 instead of 18, what happened? Went right through the middle of the heart, ran 15 yards, and keeled over dead. And everyone's like, well, that's unethical. You're, you're not a good hunter. Uh, I, compared to whom? Yes, compared to Aaron Snyder, who's a, one of my good friends, and I've told him, don't bother asking me to go hunting. I'm not going with you. Aaron's, <laughs> Aaron's above my he pay grade. the sack. Holy Jesus. Aaron's a beast. I, He's a monster. Yeah, I just, I'm, just, I'm good, man. Like I always say, know your role. I'm not going hunting with Aaron unless it's a wheelchair unit because I can't keep up. It's, I'm sorry. I just, I, dude, my whole hunting philosophy is I lift heavy things and I do what I'm told. That's it. That's fair. Period. And Aaron is, Aaron's an animal. So, but for me, it's like, wait a second. So the NASCAR drivers that drive 230 miles an hour, is that unethical? I can't do it. Even yeah. if you gave me their car, I couldn't drive 230 miles an hour. I don't know how. Oh, well, if you were to put me behind one of these world record 2,500-yard rifles, 
Would I be able to hit that plate out at 2,500 yards? Nope. I sure wouldn't. I don't know how. I don't know how to execute the shot. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how. But in archery, for some reason, we have this, this mentality of, I have the same bow. I have the same arrows. I should be able to do the same things. And that's part of our entitlement problem. Mm. Um, I mean, if you, if you look at, for instance, for, for anyone listening, and I'll be talking this up on my podcast later in the week, but Google the USTA, which is tennis, folks. I love tennis. Uh, Are you a big tennis geek oh, too? Love it. Love it. Oh, man. I played love tennis it. in uh, high school and had a couple of uh, college offers. Nice. Yeah. And then you blow out your rotator cuff? No, then I got that. Perfect. <laughs> Flawless execution. <laughs> but Google... I was I was pretty decent, though. Nice. Dude, I love tennis. I love it. So yeah. w- what Rafa How about did... Rafi, man? Dude, he was about... I'll tell you what. Rafi was on the precipice of the biggest choke in U.S. Open history. It was close. Oh, my God. He was... There was some gagging happening. But anyway. Yep. So Google USTA trophy with Venus Williams. That promotional video, Tennis Right Now has a, has a uh, uh, project happening uh, to, to promote archery called Net Generation. Instead of, next, instead of Next Generation, it's uh-huh. called Net Generation. Uh-huh. And Venus talks about trophies and how the trophy is not the silver bowl. The trophy is the challenge. Hmm. It is the exact opposite of what we have people in archery trying to teach. It's the exact opposite of what of the competitive spirit that drives true sports. Do you think tennis is one of those sports where parents are like, oh, we're not going to keep score? Shit, no. Of course not. Absolutely not. Google that commercial and watch it, and you will see why tennis continues to blow up and archery sucks. Because in archery, we have people going, well, even if you won or if you shot a personal best, if there's other archers around, you you just need to be quiet because you saying you're not happy with your performance might make them feel bad about themselves. Hmm. And I'm like, holy shit. So now we have archery safe space. Perfect. And so that is the competitive spirit that archery is lacking because we're we're raising a generation of archers that need to be coddled. Because guess what? they all think they can shoot as good as the people that actually shoot good. And when they don't, mm-hmm. they need to have Vaseline rubbed on their hiney and told that it's special and different from everybody else's. Right. And that's part of our problem right now. Um, if you look at archery right now, in the professional ranks especially, we have some pretty stout 19 to 25-year-olds. Mm-hmm. How many 16 to 19-year-old? We have Connor Sears, uh uh, Cooper, French, we have a couple, but we're kind of, we have a huge gap in our competitive generations. Now a generation in archery is not a full generation. It's just about 10 years, right? right. but we have some problems right there. And it's because we are intentionally coaching the competition out of it mm-hmm. and making everyone feel like they're special and that they can do it. Man, I think that's, uh, well, I mean, uh, I, I don't need to tell you this, but I think that is a huge problem with the generation below mine is that there has never been any competitiveness. No one ever took last place. Right. They don't know that taking last place sucks. Right. And you don't want to do that. I mean, I remember when I, I so I shot PRS uh, Precision Rifle Series. Right. And the first match I went to, I took 
second to last. And I was like, that sucks. <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore. Right. And I got better because I didn't want to suck. And I didn't want to see my name on Facebook at the bottom of the rankings. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I feel like when you when you take away that competitiveness and then you insert those people into a competitive sport, then they automatically get turned off. Right. And yeah, man, so that's, so that's unfortunate. What do you think happens when you insert that same person into the competitive life? Oh, they roll over and die. They, they need mommy and daddy. They need, yep. they need those. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable. And so, I mean, that is, you know, that's the long way around to say that mm-hmm. part of archery's problem is how we are choosing to present ourselves. And just to hit on real quick, I had mentioned earlier about, um, you know, archery being on TV and, uh, you know, obviously feed a can. But here's something that archery did that I've talked about a lot. And for for decades and decades and decades, all archery did, not counting FIDA, world archery, because... Mm-hmm. Over there, they, they can't even use camo because some dictators in some countries wore camo and it makes people feel afraid. No shit. Oh, dude, it's, yeah, yeah, so whatever. But um, <laughs> every, if you talk, if you tell a layman, just Joe Blow on the streets, right. that you're an archer, what's the first thing they think you do? Hunt. Probably hunt, yeah. Here, hunt. In, here in, uh, in the States. United States. Yeah. yeah. Why? Why? Because archery and archers, the archery companies and the organizations for the longest time intimately linked the act of shooting a bow to hunting mm-hmm. because that's what paid the bills. That's what, that's what it was. Well, now we're in 2019. The tide has changed. Now we can't undo that. Mm-hmm. So do you think liberal-owned ESPN is going to ever allow archery on ESPN no. to shoot a foam animal? Yeah. Ha-ha. <laughs> That's hilarious. Now, an orange circle or a yellow circle? Sure. How much fun is that to watch? Yeah. I'm going to go home and paint the wall and watch it dry. I'll have a better time. So, but that is part of our problem is we need to separate the sport of archery from the sport of hunting. And some companies Mm -hmm. are trying it, but it's not working because they don't, they don't, they don't believe that that's what's going on. Okay, so that leads into my next question, or a question I had for you, is, I, so I want to start getting into 3D more than I am right now. Okay. Uh, but I want to do it to be a better bow hunter. That's the whole reason. Yep, that's why and, I did it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that uh, based on the numbers that I have seen and you have seen, Lord knows we need the practice. Uh and that's underselling it yes. significantly. Right. So am I, I feel like I want to hit the 3d course with my hunting setup. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with guys that show up with the open setups sure. and they're shooting all sorts of crazy stuff. But do you, do you think that there is too much division? So like I shoot a single pin. It's mm-hmm. just what I've shot for a while. Right. But apparently, I think, at least in like the local circuits, if I shoot a single pin slider, I'm an open. Yes, you are. And I'm going to go get my dick kicked in every weekend. Stomped straight into the dirt. So 
where is this incentive? And I know you can't like, I'm not asking them to like create a different class for me. So I don't get my ass kicked every week. Right. But at the same time, well, everybody else is, but yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to change my hunting setup mm-hmm. to be better or, or to place higher at the local 3d competition. Right. Uh, but it's this like weird dichotomy that I'm running into because like, I want to shoot my heavier hunting arrows mm-hmm. knowing that I won't have as much grace on unknown yardage. And, but that's okay because I want to, I want to get used to this trajectory and I want to get used to a, a somewhat realistic hunting situation. Right. So uh, how, how, do, how should I approach this as somebody who's looking to get into it, but I am looking to get into it strictly for becoming a better bow hunter. Right. Um, first of all, any shooting is going to make you a better bow hunter. Absolutely. Period. Yeah, in, including spots. I'm, I'm not, I, I yes. should have, I should no, have prefaced I, that. No, it's not absolutely. just 3d. Yeah. It puts you spots as well. Absolutely. It puts in shoot, shooting anything in a tournament setting is going to make you a better hunter. Period. Makes, end of story. Put, put the stress on, do whatever you can that, to put the stress on. Exactly. Get on Facebook live. <laughs> right. right. Or some people don't do that. Um, so, uh, <laughs> quartered after so, the pack. right. So first of all, let me ask you this question. How many, so there's about 1500 archers at any given big 3d tournament. And I'm okay. assuming that you want to shoot, shoot unknown, correct? Uh, yeah, I, I don't have an issue with either. Uh, but I, I think the challenge of unknown sounds, uh, intriguing. Exactly. And let me preface by saying this, anybody out there that is operating under the fallacy that it has to be known or it has to be unknown can suck one. There is room for both. There wouldn't even be known 3D if it wasn't for unknown. So sure, yeah. Just because you can't shoot unknown, shut your pie hole and let the people that want to shoot it shoot it, and don't try to change the game just so you think you can compete because you ain't gonna. All right. So with that said, you still ain't gonna beat Dan, and you still ain't gonna beat Levi. So shut your pie <laughs> hole. So, so now that you've determined you want to shoot unknown and you want to shoot your hunting rig, that I think that's fantastic. So if there's 1,500 people at any given large 3D tournament, uh-huh. how many hunters are there in that region of any of those tournaments, do you think? 50,000? 100,000? Oh. Like, I'm talking like a five-state radius. A million, probably. Okay. So why isn't bow hunter classes, like what you're talking about, mm-hmm. why isn't that... Why isn't there 4,000 people there and 3,000 of them are talking about exactly what you're talking about? Good question. Because we as, we, as, we as archer organizations and we as competitors have failed to convince those bow hunters it's okay to come out and shoot a tournament and miss. Because sure. they're, they're intimidated. Yeah. They're intimidated. Fact. Huge fact. And that's just what it is. Now, for you... It's simple. What site do you shoot? I shoot a clutch, trophy ridge clutch. Okay. Single pin. So you're not going to be able to shoot that site. Right. And, and truly measure. Now, you could go out and shoot it and just measure yourself against yourself. Measure yourself against self-improvement. Right. Absolutely right. you could. You're going to catch heat for it, and people are going to be like, what the fuck are you doing? So my, rec- better. Right. my recommendation for you just put a five pin housing on it or just get another site and put another site on that bow 
with the same size housing. Very, mm-hmm. very important. Same size housing. Yeah. So you don't have to change your peep. Sight those pins in for 20 to 50 or whatever your max yardage is going to be. Mm-hmm. And that's your target sight. And you can bolt those sights on and off the same bow with the same arrows, whether you're shooting a tournament or whether you're, I mean, normally I would have told you just to put a five pin housing on that site, but you're going to catch an unbelievable amount of shit just for having a, a movable site on there. Yeah. People freak out. People will freak yeah. out. So to you, I would just say, get a, get a, get another site okay. and just shoot the same bow, same arrows, same everything except your sight. And you would be shocked. Um, what bow do you have? Uh, I've got a Dart and Maverick too. Okay, uh, I mean that's Dart, Darton, and and Rex are way up to speed on stuff. They're I haven't. Oh, they make a great bow. Yeah, I, I haven't inspected the quality of their machining in a lot of years, but I will assume, given Rex's reputation, that the machining quality of their risers is still top notch. Yeah. So it's a good bow. So you're going to be able to unbolt one sight. And bolt on another site, get it sighted in, and then when and you then go to switch it back if I need to, switch it back and not lose my zero. Ah, dude, you're gonna be so close. Yeah, like you'll still be you'll you you'll still be in killing with well within killing efficiency. Sure. So it's not like you have to retune all your shit. You don't. But what I would tell you to do is just get another site. That's it. Okay. That's Period. Good. End of story. If you want to shoot with your quiver on, shoot with your quiver on. All of that. Um, all you need to do is get another site. I'm assuming your stabilizers will be well within tolerances for that given organization. Um, you know, I shoot a 10 inch on the front and I don't shoot a back bar. Well, then you're most certainly within tolerance. So, there we go. um, so it's going to be a very easy transition for you. Um, you know, when I started shooting tournaments, the first time I was invited to a tournament, I literally told my friends, poppycock, I'm a hunter. <laughs> and then very first tournament I ever went to, I shot a zero on my first target. And I never wanted to go back. And then the second time they convinced me or forced me to go to a tournament, very first target, I shot another zero. And I remember turning to my friends and I said, all right, I'm either going to get really good at this or I'm quitting because this is <laughs> bullshit. This shooting stuff into the dirt is bullshit. Yeah. And I just became a sponge. I was, I was blessed. I was in, uh, I had Bob Gentry and Alan Ruddick and the Neelys from Winner's Choice and Cave Johnson from Spot Hog and D- David Butler. I mean, I was, I was blessed to be able to sponge up as much information as I could, but I worked my ass off at it. Sure. Now, I, I'm almost 50 now and I don't get to shoot anymore, so I kind of suck now. But, um, but back then, that's what I did. And then I started shooting so many tournaments, hunting became secondary. But I can tell you this. The very first hunting season that I got back into the field after becoming what I would consider a freak as far as shooting tournaments, Mm -hmm. I shot the biggest mule deer of my life at 57 yards right in the trach hole, head on. Yeah. And I would have never dreamed of shooting that shot before. Never. Never even dreamed of it. But... I, I ranged him with my giant Bushnell that was like this big. <laughs> yeah, my dad had one of those. Yeah, the, I said it's huge, and so I ranged it with that. I had a great yardage; it was perfectly stacked for my pins, and I just reared back, and those that forty yard pin stuck right on his nose, and that fifty yard pin was right down on the bottom of his chest, and it just stopped. 
And I was like, holy shit. Because prior to that, it was like... All over the place. Yeah. yeah. And dude, it parked. And funk. And it went all the way up to the fletchings. Big old... What the heck was I shooting? A 2417 aluminum. I don't know much about aluminum. That's like one of my Achilles heels. Yeah. Well, nowadays, you pretty much... Yeah. It's in, indoor only, but... Um, no, man. I mean, so... So indoor guys normally shoot aluminums? For the most part. I mean, if oh, you look at if you look at Vegas, Carbon Arrows have only won Vegas twice. Wow. Okay. Jesse Broadwater won it once when he switched over to gold tip for a year. And then, well, I guess technically Carbon's won twice two years ago. Because <laughs> Bob, oh. Bobby Eiler won with Carbon Express, but then was DQ'd. And oh, cr- is that the guy that, like, because he took HGH or whatever? Uh, no, not or, HGH. Or- it'd be Cannabis. Oh, okay. Well, I, I thought and, I thought they said he had traces of both. In yeah, he had THC and he had um, some banned substance for migraines. Okay, which, okay. Yeah, it must have been that. Which he had been on for six years prior. So it's yeah, not am like I it was alone a new for thing. thinking that's the most ridiculous thing ever? Do what now? Am I alone in thinking that that ruling is just outrageous? If you were shooting out there for $125,000 in three days, would you want to be shooting against somebody that was doped up? No. Correct. Yes. Same as MMA. Would you want to be fighting someone that was juiced yeah. up? No, yeah, you, no, you wouldn't. It's just, it's called a level playing. It's called a level playing field, but that's kind of a misnomer. Like my analogy, my joke earlier, I'm three times stronger than Jesse Broadwater and I've never mm-hmm. beat him. So level playing field is kind of a shaky term. Sure. I'm so much stronger than Jesse, that doesn't mean that I'm better. So level playing field means everyone gets adequate footing. Everyone is, the human aspect is equally governed. Sure. Um, yeah. No one can shoot over 300 feet per second. You can't shoot over a 27 diameter arrow. If Stefan Hansen wanted to shoot a 32-inch draw length, he certainly could. He'd be holding his hand six inches behind his head, but mm-hmm. but so that is the governance there that ensures that when you as a competitor step up to the line to shoot against someone for over a hundred thousand dollars, that it's mano a mano, and that person doesn't have an advantage on you. So yeah, that's so fair. Bob won, got to, got DQ'd, and then Chris Perkins was awarded it, and he was shooting Black Eagles. So, but technically, uh, Carbon Arrows have only won Vegas twice. Gotcha. Um, and so, sorry, I got you off track on your mule deer story. No, that's okay. Well, no, I I stroked it. That's the end of story. Yeah. He turned around, ran t- t- twenty feet, and died. But that competition is what I, I don't want to say made that shot possible, but it ma- it made that confidence there. It totally did. Um, yeah. I didn't know how to tune as well once I started shooting tournaments because you know, and this is the thing that that I've told people for a decade. They're like, "What's the best thing I can do to?" to learn. Should I go to seminars and go to this? I'm like, well, of course you should go to all the seminars and stuff you can. But if you want the greatest immersion learning situation, go to tournaments. Because once you get to a certain level of tournaments, it is like a clinic all day, right? Every day. Now, yeah. granted, if you're in a, if you're in a group with me and Levi Morgan and Jesse Broadwater and Stefan Hansen, we ain't talking no goddamn tuning. Right. We're talking diesel trucks and we're talking non-archery crap. Right. But when we are in a group and anything tuning comes up, get out your pen and paper because the level of knowledge that's going to just be spit out without even thinking about it is going to be on another level. 
that you're not sure. going to get in any seminar. So yeah. pay the extra money, come shoot in the pro class, and use every single one of those like an investment into your archery knowledge. Hmm. And it works. I, I did it. I donated for several years. It wasn't until, I think, 2003, I finally won enough at one of the West Coast tour events that I took that check. Very first, it was big, very first time I ever have a single check big enough, and I went and bought a pair of Leica binoculars. Ooh. I still have them. Leicas are great. They are, and I just tested them against the uh, Zeiss uh, top dogs. I've been liking that Zeiss stuff. I'll be it's selling. Stuff, man. I'll, I'll be selling the Leicas. I had no idea. Uh, the Zeiss stuff's on another level. It's, it's German glass, bro. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And so, so for you, number one thing is just get out there. If you sure. can't afford to buy another site, that's cool, man. But no, yeah. I, I mean, if, if you were going to say no, I was going to be like, how'd you afford that microphone? But yeah. Yeah. Um, getting a, getting an extra site's a whole lot easier than getting a whole nother rig. I can tell you this. Sure. Once you get into it. Oh, I'm going to want another rig. <laughs> exactly. I, know, I already know what's going to happen. Yeah. I already told my wife, I said, I'm going to start getting into 3D more competitively. Right. And I'm going to shoot my hunting rig. And what's going to happen is after about three or four shoots, I'm going to say, I'm just going to go buy an E35. Right. And uh, it's just going to be a couple hundred bucks. Right. And, and that's, that's what's going to happen. Right. And then I'm going to shoot like three or four more. And then I'm going to be like, I'm going to try and find an actual competition bow, like right. a 40-inch axle to axle. And, you know, I'll buy one that's a couple years old. I'll shoot three or four more. And I'll be like, you know, that new Hoyt really <laughs> cool. And, uh, and that's what's going to happen over the course of the next year. I'm going to buy right. four new bows. There you go. So just remember this. Once you start, and this is for anybody listening, once you start going to these tournaments, understand this. You are truly on, only shooting against yourself. You really are. Now, yes, the fancy ribbon or the belt buckle big or, checks. or whatever, yeah, the big Happy Gilmore checks, <laughs> those come as a reward for beating yourself. Right. Um, don't overthink it. Don't, no one's going to take away your birthday if you suck. No one's going to take away your birthday if you miss. No matter what you do out there, your wife's going to be waiting for you at home. Your job's going to be waiting for you on Monday. And this is the most important thing. Pressure is a privilege. Mm. Pressure is a privilege. And if you put yourself into it, into a situation where you are feeling pressure, feel the privilege of it. Because not everybody understands that, what pressure is. People start to feel pressure and they buckle under it like, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? Right. What's a privilege? It's a privilege to be in that situation. You put yourself into a situation where you are now privileged enough to feel pressure. Hmm. And that's the bottom line of it. Don't take it too seriously. It's not your day yeah. job. And just remember, when you start to feel that pressure and that 800-pound gorilla starts to climb up your bunghole, just remember, pressure is a privilege. Yeah. And a lot of people out there never fe never understand that privilege because they're afraid to put themselves under that pressure. Mm. Or they take it too seriously. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then they have a come apart. Exactly. Yeah. And that, yeah. that ruins it. So have fun. And for you, man, just get out there and do it. Whether you, yeah. whether you are able to get another site or not, just do it. Yeah. Oh, that, that won't be a real big deal. But I, I guess maybe it's a good thing that I went to the R100 for my first event. For sure. Because it's a very, like 
pressure free laid back just yeah laid back it's meant that course is set up to just crush mm-hmm. it's not hard right and yeah it was, it was a good time it was a great time and there wasn't like i mean i saw a couple guys kind of throwing hissy fits about stuff <laughs> but like that's just the male ego being the male ego sure and yeah okay well that the pressure is privilege i've never heard that that's that's good man well it's true I mean, yeah. I, I asked Jesse Broadwater years and years, and I, you know, that's the other thing is, you know, I get asked because I'm friends with all these guys, like, what, is, what do those guys think about when they're on the line? And I'm like, you don't want to know. <laughs> you, you, trust me, you don't want to know. <laughs> if you ask Jesse Broadwater, he'll get that little smirk on his face and be like, I can only tell you some of it. But <laughs> he's thinking about his kids, and he's thinking about his yeah, diesel truck, yeah. and he's thinking about, you know, because he's shot so many shots. And I said, I asked, remember asking Jesse about a decade ago, I said, how do you, you know, because with Jesse, if he shoots an arrow to win Vegas or shoots an arrow to lose Vegas, you don't know. Right. You have no idea. Um, and so I asked him, I said, how, how, how do you manage, how do you manage that pressure and that stress? Because that's really what it is, is stress. Mm-hmm. When you allow pressure to manifest itself as stress, you start making bad decisions. Your body, your body does weird shit. You stop breathing. It's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. And he said, I convert it to excitement. And I was like, hmm, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, you, you know, he doesn't allow the stress and the pressure to overwhelm him. He actually understands that pressure is a privilege. So right. he feels excited for the opportunity to do it. Yeah, and of course he feels better when he shoots the the super X to win Vegas. But if he doesn't, it's not the end of the world, right? And that's something that a lot of amateurs and folks like yourself need to keep in mind: is you ain't fucking Jesse Broadwater, right? And neither am I. So if you go out there and you don't win or you don't shoot as well as you think you could have, so what? So what? As long as you're improving, and that's the whole thing. Like even if I go balls in and I buy all this new stuff really at the end of the day. I want to see where I started with my hunting rig right. and where I ended with my hunting rig. That's my true like scale. My true calibration Right, tells me, did I get better? If I can shoot a higher score with my hunting rig than I did when I started. Yeah. And Absolutely. I'll continue to work towards that improvement and then take those pieces that I'm, I'm picking up from the target side and saying, Oh man, when I shoot a back bar stabilizer, I add eight points <laughs> right. on yeah. average. No. Maybe I should do that on my hunting rig. Absolutely. And, and I mean, like I, from, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that people can take away from that. No, there's, there's no doubt. I mean, like for me, the unit of measure was that first hunt after I started mm-hmm. shooting a lot of tournaments. And I mean, I knew in practice, I'm like, dang, I'm, I don't suck as bad as I used to. I'm actually, this is kind of cool. Right. You know, I need to stop shooting at the same dot out to 50 yards. Cause I'm ruining yeah. shit. Mm-hmm. and aluminums don't deal very well to broadheads no they don't and so for me it was that 47 yard or 57 yard whatever it was head on deer because mm-hmm. for me when i you know when i go to harvest an animal i never like on that 100 yard heart shot i didn't draw my bow expecting to shoot right i drew my bow expecting to see how everything feels mm. and for that particular shot the wind wasn't moving me at all. I didn't have to aim off. I wasn't, you know, I just drew back and I aimed 
And I remember telling myself in my head, I'm like, all right, well, this pen's sitting pretty decent. So, yeah, he's, he's you know, it didn't take this long, of course, but right. it was a split second. But I'm like, oh, this is feeling pretty good. I'm aiming well. Feet are good. The animal's totally just chilling out. You know, if this doink, because I shoot a back tension, I shoot a hinge to hunt. Yeah. Wow. And, yeah. And so I was just sitting there aiming for a split second. I'm like, man, this, this shot's feeling pretty good. If this shot was to break, doink, shot breaks, whack. And I was like, what? so that's the way I hunt, whether it was on my bison. I, I shot a, a mule deer at 88 yards. and It's all the same for me. I just I draw back with the intent to do a systems check, sure, not to shoot. And so when I do that, and there's, I'm not going to lie, there's times I draw back, whether it's 100 or 20, if I draw back and an earthquake happens under my feet, I'm not shooting. If my pin's all over the place, and it has, trust me, if my mm-hmm. pin's all over the place and I'm like, holy, I'm having a come apart over here, I will let down. I'm not going to shoot that shot, period, yeah. end of story. I'm just not. And that's what tournament archery is going to teach you is, don't shoot bad shots. You don't have to. Hmm. Yeah. And the level of tuning you're going to learn, the level of discipline you're going to learn. I mean, let's be honest here. Look at good friend, Joby Shaw. I like Joby. Joby's a great kid. Who's Joby? Joby Shaw is a professional 3D archer. He won the ASA Classic two years ago. Super cool kid. Um, he came into the pro ranks and thought he was shitting in high cotton and he learned the hard way that he, he got learned real quick, man. And he adjusted. He kept fighting. Great kid. Great kid. But and he's mainly a 3D archer. Well, he went to uh, the Midwest Classic Trail Shoot and shot five down on known yardage. It was very, very good. But he'll sit at home and shoot 30x Vegas rounds every day. Yeah. But he doesn't come to Vegas yet mm. because he understands that level of pressure in Vegas is something that he's just now getting accustomed to, to where he feels sure. like, I mean, he can do it at home. So do mm-hmm. thousands of other people. And then you come to Vegas and nine people do it. And so, I, I mean, so knowing your role and what you're ready for is important, whether it's you or a professional and yeah. that's it, man. Hmm. Well, that's good stuff, man. Absolutely. I, I uh, got a lot to uh a lot to chew on well i just dude just keep in mind have fun if you ain't yeah. having fun with it fuck it yeah i mean that's that's my whole thing is like if you ain't having fun with it then why bother yeah no you it's know, it's yeah it's not if it's not enjoyable then yeah don't do it right well i mean look oh. if you're if you're levi morgan or danny mccarthy or jesse broadwater yeah your fun yeah. meter is is susceptible because your paycheck's <laughs> sure. on the line yeah. For you? No, man. Just go out there and have fun and, and do the thing. So one last thing real quick. Let's uh yeah. let's talk about this. Is it Tricome, the uh lip balm sponsor you have there? Yeah, dude. You've got uh some heading to you. What's that about? Uh they are a well, they do like all sorts of stuff. Uh they do they do lip balm. I guess I'm like the only person in the world that doesn't actually use lip balm, but apparently, especially out west, stuff gets dry. Bro. And, dude. Uh yeah, it's 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 legit stuff. Like I, everyone that I know, because they're a Kansas City based company, where I'm from, and everyone I know that has like picked it up after they use like Burt's Bees their whole life, Ugh. they're like, oh, this is right. like 
now I'm driving a Ferrari. Right. When I was driving a Ford Escort my whole life. Absolutely. Well, I'm so, I'm I'm good stuff. I'm somewhat of a of a lip balm snob. I'm currently using some stuff from Tractor Supply here in Prescott Valley called Chicken Poop. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not actually chicken poop, but when I saw when I saw because this is what I do for a living as well, so I'm sort of got the OCD work. And when I saw on one of your, by the way, when I go to your website, it asks for a password. Yeah, it's not up yet. Okay, I'm just, building it. Just I'm checking. Building it. All right, you might want to host a different page there. Because I thought I was entering the dark web or something, but um, <laughs> yeah, we, but, we have it set up for a password for uh, proofreaders to hop on there and double check it. All right, I got you. So, um, but but when I saw that, I, I I went to their website and I'm like, you know, being the connoisseur of uh-huh. lip balm that I am out here on the left coast where it's dry as a popcorn fart, mm-hmm. I was like, hmm. So yeah, I was gonna I was gonna check that out for sure. So you got a care package of that on the way or what? I've got I've got one coming to you. Absolutely. All right. All right. I will I will give them a thorough a thorough review. Perfect. <laughs> they will they will love to hear that. That's man. I, I keep telling them it's my buddy Joel and his wife uh, started this a, a while back. Oh really? And yeah, yeah. I, I've I've known them for. 15, 16 years. Okay. And, uh, uh, the company's not that old though. I think they're only about 10 years old or so, but they, uh, they go to Alaska and Colorado and stuff all the time. They're, they're real big into the, uh, biking scene. Okay. Am I crazy for thinking that you enjoy the bicycling scene as well? Enjoy. It's a relative term at six foot seven, 280 pounds. Um, difficult. I'm not made for landing. I made for <laughs> impacting, so um, but I do love to ride mountain bikes. Yes, okay, yeah, um, absolutely love it. I had to sell the one I had uh, over in that I used to ride before, but I am looking for one of those big framed bad boys at this moment. Yes. Well, I mean, after we uh, stop recording, we can chat for a minute about that. I've I know I know some people in the bike industry. I guess nice. you could say. Nice. Uh, but yeah, so I started exposing them to like Western hunting culture, right. I guess, as, uh, uh, Garrett, one of our other co-hosts is, uh, a Western guy. And that's where I started asking them. I was like, Hey, does this have a place out there? And Garrett was like, dude, you always have lip balm on you always when you're hunting. And I was like, oh, okay, well maybe this would be a good fit. So here they are. Well, good. But, I mean, yeah, you got some coming. Don't worry. Well, I mean, so look for for those that don't understand the finer nuances of of lip balm. Uh, there's there's the there's the there's the melting point issue. There is mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. there is the dispenser issue, which is a huge. And most people are like, "Why does that matter?" And I'm like, "Well, depending on how you put it in your pocket." As it moves around, it could just literally keep forcing that shit all the way out into your pocket. All the way out, yep. And so I'm like, so the container that said lip balm is hosted in matters, and the melting point of it matters because I just, unfortunately, reached into my uh, center console of my truck. It had been a little hot out here. Mm-hmm. And uh, reached down in there, and it was empty, but the bottom of the thing was not because that's where it melted and went and then rehardened. Oh, in your center console. Yeah. So... I don't. I don't know exactly how I'm going to get that out of there. Maybe a hair dryer and then soak it yeah. up. But uh, yeah, heat it back up. And there you go. Well, that's cool, man. I uh, I definitely look forward to getting some. I am uh, uh, Burt's Bees is the big name, but that that to me is almost as bad as Carmex. It uh, it actually yeah. makes it worse for me. 
Yeah. So, but anyway, I well, think, hey, man, I, I you'll enjoy it. That's it. I appreciate you having me on today, bud. Yeah, dude, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, man, I, I hope after a uh, spot season gets under my belt, we'll uh, we'll check in. Well, maybe we can chat again. Sounds good. Holler back at your boy. Thanks, Ray.